0: Welcome back to Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano, and coming back after a little while is co-host for Adam Warlock issues, John Wilson. John Wilson. Dun, dun, dun. Only um,
1: these Adam Warlock issues feature Adam Warlock that are not Adam Warlock issues, because the Adam Warlock series got canceled, Al. It's over. It's all done. At
0: this point, like, what, a year?
1: Something like that. I know we looked it up last time, but I've forgotten
0: now. So have I. In story, they say it's two weeks. Well, you know, comic book time and all that. Oh, of course. I mean, Franklin Richards, best example.
1: Because we've gone from 1973 to 1974. And I forget where in 1973 we were, but, yeah, yeah, we are the next calendar year over. And by this time, Captain Marvel's had a whole bunch of stuff going on with Thanos. Is that ra- I don't know if that's wrapped up yet or not, because we're kind of recording these out of sequence. But I have read it all, because I, I, I did a recent um, jump in my reading.
0: And then this is kind of like a bridging thing, because we have this, that which kind of ties up the whole Counter-Earth story, this trilogy and the Hulk. And then the next time we see either of them, it's in uh, Adam Warlock's Strip and Strange Tales.
1: And... The, there, there's definitely gaps between both, like, and I think the gap between this and Strange Tales is even bigger, but it's interesting because, no, 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 that's that's probably not true, because in the letters columns that talk about these issues, like the letters that were published around the first appearance of Wolverine, which was 181, that are looking back on 76,
0: 77, and 78. That makes sense, yeah, right time period.
1: The responses to those letters talk about the fact that the return of Adam Warlock is already in the works.
0: Yeah. So and I think some, by the time you
1: get to the letter responses about Wolverine, they're like, and now check out strange tales with featuring Adam Warlock.
0: So it's like eight months.
1: Yeah. So it's there, there are two gaps, but they're not that big. And, and like we said before, I do like this era of the seventies where if your comic run was cut short, you could pretty much guarantee that your story was going to be finished somewhere. Yes. Yeah had to be plunking quarters down left and right for all the comics on the stand to find out where.
0: Yeah, and hopefully by the original, by original creators. Because sometimes not.
1: Like, in this case, not. Like, Roy Thomas had a hand in what we're going to be reading today, but Jerry Conway is the one scripting it all.
0: Yeah.
1: for Jerry Conway. He wrote, like, a dozen issues of The Hulk and was scripting other people's plots on every single one of them.
0: (laughs) Although I would say, since Roy Thomas was editor in charge of all the Warlock stuff so far, it probably is close to... What should be? Oh yeah,
1: Since, yeah. I'm sure you know he he sat down with Jerry and and Trimpy and explained the story that he wanted to tell, and then they built the narrative around that. Cause yeah, I, I imagine. Now this is just me spitballing here. I imagine Roy Thomas is basically at the point. Okay, okay. So at some point here, I want to have the Man Beast kill Adam Warlock, and I want Adam Warlock to come back from the dead, and then Jerry Conway and Trimpy are like, okay. And they came out with three issues of story to do that in.
0: Yeah, that would make sense. At the at the minimum, that's what he said.
1: Yeah, I mean, because really, there's there's not a whole lot else that's required to make this story happen.
0: No, and and um and to be and to be fair to like the intelligence of Harp Trimpy and Ger- Jerry Conway, I'm sure if they looked even briefly at what he what had been done with Warlock and what the allegory was, they went, oh, well, this is the obvious conclusion of that. <laughs> Let's see, we're doing a Christ allegory. He's now been brought into the hands of his enemies. Hmm, what comes next? What
1: comes next? Well, what comes next is a cover with a blue
0: man-beast.
1: Yeah, that's You should probably uh, probably weird. drop in the synopsis before we get too into detail
0: here. Oh, yeah, so you know what? Let's do that right about here. The Incredible Hulk 176, Crisis on Counter-Earth. Written by Jerry Conway and Roy Thomas. Penciled by Herb Trimp. Inked by Jack Abel. Colored by Stan Goldberg. Lettered by Artie Semek. Edited by Roy Thomas. With a cover by Herb Trimp. Cover dated June 1974. Went on sale on March 5th, 1974. With an original cover price of 25 cents. This issue starts at the Hulk aboard a rocket flying away from the Earth. In his anger over being trapped in the rocket, the Hulk starts smashing. His smashing causes issues with the controls, and causes the rocket to go slightly off course. In a brief interlude, Betty Ross is having dinner with her father, General Thunderbolt Ross, and trying to work out her feelings for the only two men she has loved, Bruce Banner and Glenn Talbot, both of whom she thinks are now dead, neither of which actually are. Speaking of which, in Russia, Major Glenn Talbot escapes from prison, or is apparently allowed to escape. Back to the main character of this story... The Hulk lands in the ocean on Counter-Earth. His ship is found by the U.S. military, but inside, they find Bruce Banner. However, the military knows he is not their Bruce Banner, so they just assume he's a spy for Warlock. Realizing where he is, Banner freaks out, hulks out, and escapes, scaring the hell out of the officer interrogating him in doing so. The scene moves to Counter-Earth Washington, D.C., where the White House is being picketed by Adam's supporters. Inside, the President is being briefed about the fake Banner and we see that he is actually the Man Beast. The Man Beast then explains his plans to his lieutenants, I assume he tries to do this every day, to cause war between America and her allies, leaving a wasteland that he will rule. He then sends them out to deal with the Hulk. Speaking of the Hulk, he has landed in front of the Washington Monument and decides that the top would be a great place to hide out. It isn't, and the Man Beast lieutenants arrive. They attack, and while that would normally be a very stupid idea on their part, they do have an advantage, a mask which they are able to place on the Hulk's head. The mask releases a gas which knocks him out and he reverts to Banner again. In an underground lab, the new man Lazardus does the work of the man-beast until the robotic recorder, last seen in Warlock number 8, uses the Vulcan neck pinch to knock him out so that he can release his captive, Adam Warlock. You can find this issue reprinted in Essential Hulk volume 5, Essential Warlock volume 1, the Incredible Hulk Complete Collection DVD ROM, the French reprint book, Lay Incredible Hulk Number Thirty Five, Marvel Masterworks Warlock Volume One, Marvel Treasury Edition Number Twenty Four, and digitally on Comicsology and Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited. Guys, we finally developed our time machine. Should we use it to go back and see how Stonehenge was built, or become friends with Hitler and convince him to stay in art school, or we could go back in time and get the comic books we missed? Yeah. yeah! the comic book time machine a journey back in time to explore comic books good and bad whether from seven decades ago or seven days ago join our journey at comicbooktimemachine.com
1: so blue man beast on the cover
0: yes he looks a lot i mean he looks almost more like the beast a bit like a little more twisted but like he looks more blue and just a little hairy. Like he has almost like Wolverine hair. He does not look like a hairy wolf creature.
1: Right. In fact, I could see the the creature that's on uh, Hulk's knee on the bottom left, and the one that is up on his uh, up on his on his forearm that has his arm in the air, his Infinity Gauntlet in the air. Yeah. I can see those two guys as being badly drawn beasts in another issue.
0: Yeah, like, yeah, the guys attacking him look like blue wolf wolfmen. So that, lately, look more like the man beast, but the one who's supposed to be the man beast just is like, what? He just looks like a blue-skinned guy with sideburns.
1: So you're looking for the president, are you? Haven't you guessed yet? I am the president! I don't remember Hulk in this issue going, Hulk must find president.
0: No, no, Hulk doesn't even know where he is, but that's normal. Yeah. And to be fair... Most people seem to attribute more to the Hulk than there is. Even as much as they know about him, and know, as dumb as they know he is, they always think the Hulk knows more. And they always think the Hulk has a plan or is doing... I mean, I'm thinking of the uh, couple issues ago, well, of, of the Hulk run, when the MODOK turns Betty into the Harpy. And he sees the Hulk, and he's like, oh, the Hulk must know my plans and be coming. It's like, no, Hulk has no clue where he is, let alone where you are, (laughs) what you're doing. MODOK, you're not that smart, obviously. Hulk
1: is the ultimate reactor. Yeah. Not a reactor like nuclear reactor, but the reactor is someone who reacts to things around
0: them. I mean, anyone who's really supposed to be really smart when they see the Hulks nearby should automatically assume, ah, Hulk's lost. You know what? (laughs) You know, like if Reed Richards is, in, you know, there and he sees the Hulk wandering, you know, New York and they're in the middle of something, he should assume the Hulk's here to attack us. He should be like, Johnny, take this laser pointer, bring the Hulk out to the woods. Just shine it on the ground. Don't let him see you. Just shine it on the ground. He'll follow. It's shiny. You know, here, here, give him a stuff here. Here's a bunny. Show Hulk bunny. Hulk will go play with the bunny. The end. Right. I mean, someone stupid or villainous, like, you know, let's say the abomination. Yeah, he's going to attack the Hulk. But the smart people should know better. But yeah, the cover's okay, but like I said, it, it doesn't look like a man-beast at all. I mean, I'm not sure if Herb didn't... I mean, he... I'd say he wasn't sure how to draw that, but he knows how to draw that, because he drew a couple of them attacking the Hulk. I'm not sure if maybe he didn't get the... Re- maybe they didn't give him a reference?
1: Who knows. But the previous issue, which was written by Roy Thomas, helped to set this one up. You had a conflict between Hulk and the Inhumans... And the Inhumans were actually planning to check out Counter-Earth. And they had built the rocket to go and do that for that purpose. And Jerry Conway doesn't quite know that when he's scripting this issue. Because he describes the rocket differently. He says um, something about how the Inhumans had built it to explore the galaxy or something like that. And yeah, that um, also,
0: uh, he says that because of the Hulk's damage to it, it causes some shorts and causes one of the retro rockets to fire the wrong way. And then kind of implies that the ship was not supposed to go to counter Earth, that it landed there by accident. Right. And because I haven't had a chance to read those issues yet. And obviously, as you're saying they were planning on going to counter Earth. Right. How did they know about counter Earth? I thought it was hidden.
1: Um, I don't remember the details on that. It's been, a, it's been a week or two since I read them. I just remember being surprised that because that was a twist to the whole thing that I had not realized. thing is that they um, – I think they were having they – were, they were trying to find another place to put the Great Refuge.
0: Well, that makes sense. That's, oh, that's always been an ongoing concern of theirs.
1: And you have this thing where Bruce Banner goes and stays with them for a while, and the royal family are all welcoming. But there are some real racists in the inhuman general population – and so Bruce Banner is living among them, and he sees Quicksilver and Crystal, because this is around the time that they got married, a little bit before they got married. But he's just walking the streets, and some of the Inhumans, like, race riot's not the right word, but a bunch of people getting up on him, because he's he's human, not inhuman. And, of course, that goes very badly, because when you beat up Bruce Banner, you end up fighting a green giant.
0: Yes, and he gets angry yeah. easily. No, that was dumb of them.
1: I'm just looking through the issue now to see if there's any reason given why they decided to put him in the rocket instead of... I think it's the only thing they have at hand to get rid of him. Black Bolt's trying to figure out what to do with this Hulk in their land.
0: Yeah, because he can just trash the whole thing. Right.
1: Which he, he does trash a lot of it.
0: Yeah. and I mean, even if you could go with Black Bolt, maybe could stop the Hulk, because he's one of, ones, one of the ones in the Marvel Universe powerful enough to at least stand up against him. Even if he could, that would trash the entire land anyway. That kind of fight. See, looking at this issue, 176, it kind of goes either way, because Hulk in, in the issue is Hulk smashing up the rocket. He says, strange men did this. Strange men tricked Hulk, locked Hulk in small room. So implying they did this to him. But in the editor box, it said, Greenskin's referring to the Inhumans, whose space arc he stumbled into our last issue. So you could no, almost go either way by reading it. No, he at all.
1: They, they, Black Bolt was able to subdue him with a uh, very carefully focused psionic blast. Okay. And um, then they decided I'm looking at the pages now. They decided to put Hulk in the space arc to get rid of him, decided they would do their own space arc again some other time.
0: Yeah. Like we can reveal that easier than everything.
1: (laughs) So a little bit of a a disconnect in the scripting between the Roy Thomas 175 and the Jerry Conway 176 that had Roy Thomas there for the story conception, but not for the writing.
0: Yeah, because actually it's funny, because in the scripting here, it says they tricked him into it, but in the editor box, it's like, he t- stumbled into it. Yeah.
1: Which, trick, you know, stumbled as in we knocked you down and put you there and launched you. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, I mean, knowing the Hulk at this time, if, since I hadn't read those issues yet, I could have believed either one, because the you know, Hulk does that. The Hulk stumbles into things and blames somebody else, because he thinks they, they're trying to trick him. Which and they usually weird. are.
1: We, we move into the scene with Betty and her dad, and it's weird for me, because, like, I haven't read very much Hulk. Like, I like the Hulk as a concept, but there's so much out there, and I have other things I'm trying to read, I I just haven't gotten there yet. Seeing Betty's relationship with Bruce and Talbot in little bits and pieces scattered here and there is always kind of strange. Like, I didn't realize that when she married Glenn Talbot, she was actually still in love with Bruce and just thought he was dead. I thought they had broken up or something. So now that she thinks Bruce might be back and then she thinks she might have lost him again, she's all conflicted.
0: Well, she's very conflicted because in those issues where she turns into the Harpy, she thinks Glenn Talbot's dead and she has a nervous breakdown, hates her father because it was a mission to rescue her father that Glenn died. And then when the Hulk shows up, she's pissed at him and Bruce as well. She's just angry at all of them. And then eventually, I think they just kind of gave up on the whole Betty going crazy thing, because she was kind of crazy for, like, five or four or five issues there.
1: So, Hulk flies towards Counter-Earth.
0: Yes. And... it was a, You said in that issue they, they planned on going there, but according to this, of course, they say it's an accident. But either way, he gets there. And he crashes in the uh, ocean. Oh, and before that, we have Glenn Talbot, who's not dead, escaping from prison in Russia.
1: Right. Which is the big reveal to the audience that he's not dead,
0: because at this point you think he is. Yeah,
1: but not so, important this, for this us. So in this big uh, Adam Warlock stuff, we actually have important Hulk developments going on.
0: Yeah, because it's still the Hulk's book, but that's yeah. not as important for us, because that's all really, we get this issue, and we're not going to get anywhere near the resolution of that story, obviously, and while we're reading this. So, moving on.
1: So the Hulk's rocket lands in the ocean, and some sub, uh, scuba divers find it. He has, in the meantime, been reduced to Bruce Banner again. So they take him to a military hospital.
0: And he's being que- he's being questioned by some unknown colonel, major, whatever. Right. Who, cause this is Counter-Earth says, you look like Bruce Banner. But we know you're not, cause we know where he is. Cause we've seen the Counter-Earth Bruce Banner before when we, the Hulk was last there in 158. Cause yeah. they, they married the Betty and has a son there.
1: Interestingly enough, well I say interestingly enough, really that's just a, filler word to begin my sentence which isn't very interesting but um isn't it possible that there are people in the world who just you know look a lot alike i mean why do they obviously for the storytelling is why but isn't it possible that if i found somebody for instance if i was walking outside and i saw barack obama with my first instinct to say, "Oh, that's Barack Obama," or "Oh, that guy really looks like Barack Obama, especially if he's not surrounded by a coterie of secret service men?
0: Yes, true. although I mean sometimes there's issues you have to read between the panels sometimes. and you would have to assume at least even in the 70s they have enough equipment to check out, I don't know fingerprints, see you know you know maybe not facial recognition, but look at pictures enough, get some ideas. Wow, this guy really looks like Bruce Banner. In fact, he has the same fingerprints. What's going on here? I mean, I'd have to assume they did some checking. They didn't just happen to look at him and go, Dude, looks like Banner. Banner's not here. Hmm. Spy. (laughs) You must be an imposter, Banner. But... (laughs) Although, I am so confused why they think he's a spy for Warlock. I mean... Right,
1: I mean, okay, so you're a random guy who looks like guy we know, so he must be an imposter, so yeah, the tell me, I, what do you know about this man?
0: Yeah, the Banner thing I can get. I can get them being confused by that, because maybe he had, like I said, maybe they took they fingerprints. They definitely had that in the 70s. So there's no reason why they couldn't have checked that and go, why does he have Banner's fingerprints? But A, why would they connect him to Banner, I mean Warlock, and two, if they think he's a spy, he announced himself in that ship he was in to you, and you got him, I was unconscious. Worst spy ever. And who and, and, one a spying? Don't go walk around going, hello, I'm here. <laughs> Hi, what you doing? And Warlock is
1: captured at this point. Like, whatever happened after the last page of issue eight
0: Obviously, did not go well for Adam. Yes.
1: He's been captured. So this guy randomly lands in the ocean in a rocket, and they immediately think he's a spy for Adam Warlock. That's that's kind of some lazy, lazy storytelling there.
0: Yes, agreed. Interesting thing here, though, bit that literally the middle panel, that Warlock has arrived three years ago. Right. It doesn't, it didn't feel on Warlock's book. I mean, there was some time passing, especially when that point, like, after Eddie Roberts died, when Warlock cocooned himself. But they didn't, I don't know, they didn't make it feel like it was more than a couple, several months at the most in that period. So maybe no, a year? It's one of those
1: things about comic book storytelling during this era is that they tell stories that feel very bum bum bum, like, you know, one after the other with maybe a few days or a, most a few weeks between each other. This is, this is basically across the board for Marvel's comics. They tell stories that feel like they go in relatively rapid succession. And yet as time passes, they refer to the calendar. I was just reading a Captain America issue from, from around the same time, right towards the end of the year, whenever he's Nomad, uh, or, or whenever he's in that two-issue gap after giving up Captain America and becoming Nomad. Um, and he talks about how if he didn't like the cut of his Captain America costume, he had a decade to change it. And that's a decade of wakeful Captain America
0: career. No, that's true, because yeah, a lot of times in these Bronze Age books, I've seen them refer to actual things that happened in the year they were published. Mm-hmm. Like something happened in 1970, it's now 73, they'd say, well, back in, I haven't seen him since 1970.
1: And that's why it makes sense for Peter Parker to graduate in issue 28 of Amazing Spider-Man. Yes. Because he's been he's been in high school for three years at that point. Yeah. So he, you figure he, you came in during his high school career, it's now three years of publication later, we're going to have him graduate. Even though he's referred to as a senior in the in like the first issue, but that's okay. We'll, we'll set that aside.
0: Well, that's the same thing <laughs> as like Reed and Sue being referred to as being engaged in the first issue or two of Fantastic Four, and then they get engaged later on,
1: or they get married in Annual Three and have a baby in Annual Four. Yeah, because that's a year.
0: Yeah, like okay, that's good. You had a year of being married, and now baby time.
1: Right, and she gets pregnant, and you know, relatively quickly in the in the in the series. But but yeah, it's it's a. You know, we talk about nowadays the sliding timeline being a bit of a uh, problem, but you know, trying to fit all of the career of the of the characters into a ten to fifteen year span, but it's like you have the reverse problem in this era because there's not enough happening to fill the calendar years of time.
0: Yeah, but I did like that they released were. For- trying to like have it was almost like how way valiant did it when they like they had actually valiant would actually have actual dates i mean i know you said you never read the at least the original run of valiant but they would actually have actual date and year like stuff would take place later on and they would give like a calendar day of like august 29th 1993 you know because they had time passing not exactly to the point that marvel's new universe did where every month was another month You know, they would refer. You know, they would have like a few weeks downtime, let's say, and then you know, the next three issues would take place over a week in September, and then the next few issues would take place somewhere like in October or you know or November already. So Marvel was kind of doing that in the seventies. They were kind of going real time a bit, somewhat. Yeah, they were. Which I kind of like at times because it's kind of I, I I mean as much as you you know you still want Superman around, let's say, to do stuff for Spider Man. I do like when they can actually have things happen. Because otherwise, for those characters, sometimes I get bored because it's like, oh, well, you know, eventually you're just going to retread everything because you're not trying to change anything, so I'll have to leave and come back. That's why a lot of times for me, for reading, like, those long-term characters, I sometimes have trouble reading them, like, buying new issues regularly for a long time because eventually they have to, like, just start retreading everything or ignoring things. As opposed to, like, these more minor characters like Adam Warlock or you know, Blue Beetle or something, they can do more stuff with them because... They've only had a fraction of the stories told over the time. And they don't have to try... They're not trying to keep them the static thing they are for 50, 60 years.
1: And I kind of like that Marvel, to a greater extent, and maybe one could say DC to a lesser extent, but Marvel really feels like they are trying to not have a status
0: quo. Yeah, especially at this time period. I mean, that's why... My favorite Peter Spider-Man is the Stan Lee John Romita period. Like, stuff happens to him. He changes, you know, graduates, right. co- graduates high school, goes to college, moves out, moves in with, you know, Harry, you know, gets involved with, uh, Gwen and all that, you know, MJ and then Gwen. Like, stuff happens in his life. It's not just, well, let's stick him, you know, he, he was a Van made in the first issue in high school. Let's keep him that way forever.
1: But anyways, evidently showing pictures of, um, Golden Men in Hot Pants will trigger Bruce Banner's transformation.
0: What, they, that doesn't excite you? Is that just me? <laughs> well, yes,
1: it does, but I wasn't going to go there.
0: Never mind. No, I, I said nothing. Ignore that. Oh, wait, my wife doesn't listen to us. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think it's more of him realizing that he's not on Earth. And I, I, I can understand. I mean, reading... I've been reading more of a Hulk issue. now trying to keep up for the friends and enemies section, and half the time, poor Banner, he just wakes up. He's in some random place. Sometimes he only has like twenty minutes to figure out where he is and what's going on, and then boom, Hulk again. Right. And like.
1: And one of the things I read about the letters pages is there was actually a bit a lot of debate about just how much Bruce Banner really needed to be involved in the story. Like, why even have Bruce Banner? This is about the Hulk. But, I don't know, to me, you gotta have some, you gotta have some pathos, you gotta have some, some person time, you know? Yeah. We talked earlier about how the Hulk is a great reactor to events, you gotta have events happening to him for him to react to, and the interpersonal drama of the supporting cast, even though they're really minor parts of the story, they're part of the story.
0: Yeah, you just can't have Hulk just hitting things over and over again, that can get very repetitive. Enjoyable, maybe, but repetitive.
1: But it's what he does here. He yes. punches up the furniture, crumps through the wall, <laughs> Kool-Aid mans his way out of there. Oh, yeah. Um, the unknown major hard-ass calls his... uh His superior, the
0: general. Right. <laughs> I like this panel. No, sir, I've not been drinking.
1: <laughs> he was a normal man, and then he was a blasted monster. <laughs> yeah.
0: If you don't believe me, make an inspection yourself. Oh, and I resign. Right. (laughs) First smart military man to deal with the Hulk.
1: We then cut back to our A-plot, where the White House of this counter-Earth is besieged by people who want Adam Warlock freed. And inside, the president is on the phone. And I like the way they did this, because we don't see the president's face. He's He's just, you know...
0: yeah.
1: We we had the back of his chair, and we see his hair over the top of the chair. But then we cut the next page, and it's the man beast in
0: a suit. I know. Actually, my favorite part was that page before, though, when he's saying to the general, my best to the wife and kids. Right.
1: <laughs> he's no longer wearing the, uh, the Kirby-esque, you know, metallic costume that his friends are wearing.
0: Yeah. He's wearing an actual three-piece suit with shoes. With shoes. Man,
1: that's got to chafe his toes, right?
0: Yeah, the only thing of him that's, you know, he's only showing the regular right amount of skin that the president shows now. Hands and face. It's just really weird.
1: It's a little bit weird because he obviously is not going to let himself be seen like this. So why does he even bother with the pretense of clothes? Because personally, I hate clothes. Clothes are really annoying. Yeah. I think you know I'd be happier in a nudist colony. But, um, but you know, he's wearing the clothes... And sure. he sends out four guys that are four different species of new men, but that are able to pretend to be humans. Yeah, and I and can't tell if they're shapeshifters or if they're just sending out a vibe.
0: Or if he's using a, his mental powers to make people think that they're human. Because, <laughs> yeah, they think that, because like you said, they're new men and they're wearing those Kirby metallic outfits that we, we normally saw the new men wearing, but everyone who sees them sees them as regular people in, you know, white guys in suits. I'm wondering if the man beast is liking, cause like you said, he doesn't have to wear that. <laughs> they would see him as the president, as Rex Carpenter. They would not see him as the man beast no matter what he's wearing. I'm thinking he's liking living in the White House. Sort like, of fitting into the regalia and everything. I think he's, in, I mean, he sells his plan, but I think he's enjoying himself. I mean, I think that's why he added in even to the general best of the wife and kids, cause you know, hey, yeah, how you doing? Oh, don't worry about it. I got this thing covered. You know, he's talking on the phone. Click. You know, got a nice suit. You know, I could see him there with, like, the limp brush, you know, cleaning it off a little bit while he's talking to them, getting some of that excess fur off the shoulder pa- shoulders. It's like that scene in
1: the um, Doctor Who episode, Aliens of London, whenever the new prime minister is being yelled at by the general about how he hasn't done anything since he took over the government. He's like, oh, but I'm having so much fun fun this is
0: smashing good time yes exactly like he's not wearing just a suit he's the president it's probably a tailored suit (laughs) and since he was probably able to keep the guy from knowing exactly what he's looking at it's probably tailored to the man beast right you know he's not trying to put on human clothes over a man beast form he's putting on clothes made for the man beast he's like this is this what is this this is beautiful is this velvet you know, nice silk shirt, this is, you know, Italian you know Italian loafers. Hey, Gene, we should do a podcast. Sounds like a great
1: idea, Jeff. but what will we talk about? How about a superhero that we both love? Perfect. Someone like Thor or Captain America? Uh, both great choices, but um, I think they're being covered by somebody else already. Wait, I've got it. What about the Protector of the Universe? Like Voltron? No, no, no. The guy with the jewelry that lets him create whatever he wants. Ah, Green Lantern, nice. Close. No, this guy is cosmic awareness. Captain Marvel? Almost. I mean, Quasar. Ah, Quasar. Who doesn't love a good Quasar? Tune in to the Quantum Cast, covering all things Quasar.
0: Yes, that's right. You can find us at quantumbands.blogspot.com
1: and on the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network.
0: Yeah, that that didn't sound scripted at all, did it?
1: So he contacts Lizardus, which is a great name, on his little, you know, Skype phone, video yes. Skype. And we do get the reference to two weeks, like you said. You've had a prisoner for two weeks now, Lizardus. And Lizardus evidently is trying to torture and interrogate some unknown prisoner, which it only takes three seconds to figure out that it's probably Adam Warlock, but not having a whole lot of luck. No. So Lazarda suggests that we now start smearing the name of Adam Warlock rather than trying to corrupt him.
0: Point is just to get the people against him. It doesn't matter whether the Warlock goes with him or not, as long as he gets the people against him.
1: Oh, real quick, look at of new man? at The Washington Monument, which looks nothing like the guy.
0: No. It's giant... Well, we know what shape, everyone knows what shape it is.
1: Is it like a tribute to Bill Clinton, do you think? <laughs> Sorry, I'm t- I I saw a comedy sketch this morning. I'm totally stealing their jokes. Did you ever see Ahmed the Dead Terrorist?
0: Yeah, uh, what's his name? The guy with the puppets, the ventriloquist guy. Jeff Dunham. Yeah, Jeff Dunham. Yeah, actually, I saw him. I've seen, actually, uh, there's a comedy club here in Jersey called The Stress Factory. I've seen him there, actually.
1: It's hugely insensitive, but does play very much into the mindset of the American public in the early 2000s.
0: Which is, I think, what and I saw him, actually. Yeah, yeah.
1: And it, it, it's funny in one of those, please don't hate me for laughing at this kind of ways. But, but yeah. Um, Hulk Hulk wants to go inside the Washington Monument, because nobody can capture him in there. But he can't find a door, Even evidently was- the Washington Monument is like Dr. Fate's tower. And uh, so he smashes one and starts climbing up the inside.
0: Yeah.
1: He gets to the very top and just sits there. Hulk can rest.
0: Yes, but here's the thing, actually. The first panel that he sees when he actually notices the Washington Monument, not when he shows up there, when he first notices it, he says, Big stone? With a door? What is this dumb thing? So he sees the door. (laughs) But then doesn't use it. But he goes climb. Much better. Then again, probably in Hulk's head, it's like, soldiers can use door. Only Hulk can climb upside, therefore they can't get Hulk that way. Oh, uh,
1: okay. Well, that because so He doesn't sad.
0: realize that they probably could still go in the door and go to the same room he's in.
1: So the new men arrive with, with army weapons and vehicles, and they blast up the top of the Washington Monument. That would totally be okay in yeah. the real world. If, if somebody was inside the Washington Monument, we need to catch them, so we're just going to blow the top off of it.
0: Well, considering the fact that they, they already said their plan is to uh, cause America to go to war for allies and probably enemies as well and pretty much trash the whole world and rule over the ashes, eh, what do they care? Man is the president. What's their repercussions?
1: <laughs> so, of course, Hulk is, is not happy. He decides to start punching back and smashing everyone who's, who's getting in his way. Hulk can't rest, Hulk can't be alone.
0: So Hulk jumps down on them and just lands and starts beating the hell out of these people. Yeah. Until the new men decide they can pile on and beat him. Well, they think they can. But
1: and they I'm... do land a uh, helmet on him. And this reminded me of the, the Dark Phoenix saga. Oh, the one Is they it... put
0: on Jean Grey to try and, like, limit her powers?
1: Right. Which works... But then Wolverine can't do the death blow, and she gets a Hulk. She she manages to outpower the device. But this one does work. They do subdue Hulk, and he turns into Bruce Banner. And we get to the last page, and and the recorder is now here out of nowhere.
0: Well, remember the well, yeah. Well, the recorder was in the last. Uh, apparently, what was it? Warlock eight. Remember, he showed up at the High Evolutionary. The High Evolutionary was going to send him down to hang out with Adam Warlock. Oh, that's right. Because in fact, when we were talking about it in the bullpen bulletins, there was a for that issue, there was a note saying, "Check out the latest appearance of the recorder." <laughs> because you know how people were clamoring for that thing, because you demanded it. Like really, the recorder? I'm but surprised it's not an all new Marvel Now the, series. The, the, what's that? Said, I'm surprised there's no all new recorder coming from Marvel Now or post Secret Wars.
1: Recorder number one in a four-issue limited series.
0: Hey, Squirrel Girl has a book. Batmite has a book. Why not the recorder? Right, right.
1: Um, so the recorder takes us to the point of covering this issue for this series, which is he, op- he pushes a button on a pod, and Adam Warlock is inside. If this button is depressed, the cylinder will open, the subject within will be released, and Adam Warlock will live again. da And next issue, what will probably be the most talked about story in Marvel history, the Man-Beast Triumphant. And probably not the most talked about story, but definitely one worth talking about. Oh, yes.
0: Because they actually go through with this whole allegory to the end, and, you know, especially in the 70s, doing that was kind of, probably was very shocking. Right. I mean, I can still only think of really two times in comics that I can think of where they've done that to characters. One then year. the whole death
1: and resurrection thing, you mean?
0: Well, the whole... No, 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 obviously, that's all. It's, but the whole crucifixion.
1: Oh, who's been crucified? Wolverine. The recent death he was crucified?
0: No, um, late 80s, early 90s, uh, 251, I believe, is the cover. He's crucified on a giant X by the Reavers. It's when Jubilee first shows up.
1: Oh, uh, I think I've seen that. Is that a cover? Yes. Does it show him change to the X on the cover?
0: Yeah. Okay, I've seen that cover. Oh, actually, three times. I'm sorry, that's right. A couple uh, years later, like in the last ten years, in the X-Books, they had a couple... They, you know, like every once in a while, they'll like to show how bad some of the anti-mutant people are by killing off some characters that haven't been seen in a while. Right. You know, characters who used to be able to take care of themselves, but now all of a sudden just, you know, can get killed by anybody. And they had a few of them, just the, the Friends of Humanity, I think it was... Um, set up these X-cross, you know, giant X-shaped crosses on the mansion lawn and had these people crucified there.
1: That's kind of terrible.
0: Yeah, I think that's how I think that's how skin from Generation X died.
1: I have not read hardly any Generation X. It's one of those things I'm looking forward to reading whenever, you know, Miles and Rachel get there.
0: Yeah, they killed a few of their minor characters off that way. Like, you know, characters I haven't seen in a while, it's like, oh, let's take them on here.
1: I try to drop Rachel and Miles, I uh, try to drop their name, as much as possible in different podcasts so that everybody can know how awesome they are because I am loving their X-Men show.
0: <laughs> That's right, because you're reading along with that.
1: I am reading along. I need, I'm, I'm, I'm still in the catch-up phase. I'm listening and reading, but in, in neither one of those am I in their latest episodes.
0: That's fine. I'm thinking seeing the ones you're reading because X-Men was like my bread and butter when I first got into comics. That was like the first one of the first big series. Uh, real quick before we get to... I mean, we're done with the issue, but just going back real quick on these four new men that are working for the man-beast. What the hell is the purple guy with an orange mustache? What animal was he? (laughs) I mean, and it's not just a mustache. He has, like, that giant... Dum-Dum Dugan's mustache is insignificant and small compared to this guy's.
1: You never see a mouth. uh, He looks like a target master. Like, his head should be the handle of a gun. Yeah. You know? Like, somehow he transforms and his leg becomes bar- gun barrels, but his head is so s- weirdly geometric that it looks like it should be the handle of a gun. It's like a
0: cylinder. Because these new men are weird. I mean, we have what looks like a chubby fish, because they draw them like these big jowls. Mm-hmm. And we got British, because he looks like the beef eater or something, but with a bigger mustache and blue skin. Some kind of furry creature, which at least makes more sense as a new man. And then what kind of looks like the blue beetle with fangs.
1: Yeah, I've seen some sort of insect guy there. It's a really weird design. And the first time we see him, Mustache Man's mustache is, like, pasted onto his cheek.
0: Yeah, it's not on right. It's, like, off to the center. Like, the center part is next to his nose. Right. (laughs) So,
1: Trippy or somebody was weird on that one.
0: I couldn't help just staring at him. Every time I see him, I'm like, what is with this guy? (laughs) Well,
1: I see what he's, he's trying to do, foreshortening on the uh, perspective there. He's trying to wrap the mustache around the guy's face and make it smaller, looking on that side, but it just gives it an off center look.
0: Yeah. So once again, we're Adam Warlock issue that really does not have Adam Warlock in it at all,
1: <laughs> but it is it does play very much into the story of Adam Warlock, even oh, more yes. than that other Hulk issue we did before. Because oh, Hulk yeah. issue before was was on Counter Earth, but didn't really use the Counter Earth story at all.
0: No, and uh, though that will be tying in the next few issues here, right? So at least then, now when you, if you were only reading the war- issues of Warlock, and then you jump to these Hulk issues just to read the end, you'd be like, where are these other Can Earth soldiers come, new men come from? Where these good guys come from? Porcunus, who the hell is this? <laughs> yeah, like you said, these things—they really were trying to like make a universe of things where, like even if, like you said, that crossover with the Hulk really had nothing to do with Adam Warlock, but they still were doing things to inha- increase that world. Which they use
1: later, yeah. It's just it's a very organic sort of thing that feels... the, The best organic story developments are ones where the writers are just kind of making it up as they go, but you look back and it feels like it was all planned. Oh, yeah. Deep Space Nine is like that. Deep Space Nine has all this stuff that gets laid out in the pilot episode in the first season that becomes so big and so crucial as the story goes on that was really just ideas as they came to them. But once the series is done and you go back and rewatch the whole thing, it feels like it was planned because they built on things so well.
0: Yeah. Cause it, or, or maybe they looked at certain things that they came to them. They looked back went, Oh, this fits with that. Let's do this.
1: And Claremont, you know, he was kind of a, a weird mix of that and pre-planning because he would drop in story ideas that he had ideas for doing stuff with later but then just wouldn't do stuff until he forgot. And he gets reminded way down the road, he's like, oh! Yes. And so you, you get payoffs years later for stuff that he did early on. <laughs>
0: Louise, I'm out of ideas. I can't do anything else. I'm quitting. Right. Here's a list of things you forgot about. Oh, cool. I could do stuff with this. Right. No, but that I mean, I, that's usually when I like storytelling. Um, going in a completely opposite direction in Deep Space Nine, although I do like Deep Space Nine, actually, I think it's my favorite of the truck shows I've ever watched is DS9 but going the complete opposite type of show, Friends. If you watch Friends again on uh, Netflix and have them put in your head that they were planning on putting Chandler and and Monica together from the beginning, you see so much foreshadowing of it that it almost makes you wonder, did they plan that?
1: No, you're right. They do have have an interesting relationship and it it does grow very well. I think... They all have interesting relationships, and so knowing about that particular one sort of enhances it. But, but it almost uh,
0: makes you wonder: what came first? Did they plan from the beginning that they would like to do? Like, did someone want to do that eventually, <laughs> or did they look back and go, "Oh crap, that will work"?
1: No, I'm sure with sitcoms like that, they have you
0: know. Yeah, it probably went more like oh, very much crap. a
1: season at a time.
0: Yeah, but it's just it's just funny when you look back at it, and you go, "Oh wow, that's set up." Or just, oh, crap, more likely, like we said, it's more likely writers going, oh, hey, well, look, this is almost like we have a setup. <laughs> we look smart. Let's do this. <laughs> Which is the way I would do it. <laughs>
1: and I think with a lot of shows like Friends, the ending of the last episode is very much dependent upon whether or not they got renewed.
0: Yeah. Uh, don't get us started the last episode. My wife is so ha- – my wife hates that ending.
1: Well, I mean, I like the last episode of each season, I'm sorry. Oh. Okay. Right, the last episode of the, fr- of the first season – um, could have ended with Ross and Rachel getting together. But since they got renewed for a second season, they twisted a little bit with Rachel deciding to go after Ross, and instead of catching him and getting with him, she misses him, and now there's Julie. Yes. Which, that that little twist at the end, I, I would put down ten bucks that says that's because
0: they got renewed. Very possible.
1: I don't know how the last episode of Friends ends because I have not seen it. But Lily and I are watching through the show.
0: Okay, well then I won't say anything about it till you get to the end.
1: I've seen a lot of Friends here and there. I just I wasn't one of those really regular watchers back in the day, but I know how I know how I know who sleeps with whom over the course of the seasons.
0: Yeah, no, it was fun enough. I watched enough of it back in the day. I watched more of it since, like, you know, it would be on repeats on like you know channels, and then now on Netflix, the whole thing was on. So. You know, you go with Netflix, you're like, oh, well, the show's on. I'll just watch the show.
1: Well, we live in, like, the magical future. Because, like, how many of us sat there when we were younger wishing we could just watch whatever we wanted to watch whenever we wanted to watch it instead of having to be at the TV at a particular time on a particular channel?
0: Oh, no, agreed. I mean...
1: Especially whenever there were things you wanted to watch at the same time.
0: Yeah, or... I remember years, you know, a couple of years ago, like one of the channels here uh, was Channel 11 in this era, in the New York area, WPIX. At night, like the like from 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock at night, like an out like two hours or so would do reruns of older, older older shows, you know, slightly older sitcoms. And they usually would show a lot of times. I would do like two episodes of like one show and then two of another, like two Cheers and two Taxi back in the day. And then later on, it was like two Frasier and then like two Friends or something else. And so you're like, oh, cool, I get another episode. You know, like, I don't have to wait to watch another show. You know, wait even a day to watch another episode of this show. I can watch another one right now. Right. And then later on, you had Nick and night now doing, we're going to do, you know, this show for four hours every night. And now we're at the point, yeah, like you said, we're in the future. It's like, do you want to watch this show? Oh, look, there's a Daredevil show. You can watch all of it now. <laughs> you can sit at home all weekend and watch it.
1: That's our book. Yeah, that's it. So We get a lot more out of Warlock next issue.
0: Oh, yeah. More of Warlock will happen. But at least this has expanded the story, like we said. We now see what's going on. The Man Beast is still president. And obviously...
1: portraying and interrogating Warlock in that cylinder.
0: And the recorder, obviously, has been sent down. I mean, obviously, though, you would not know how the recorder fit in unless you read Warlock 8. But obviously, the recorder's been sent down by the High Revolutionary, and either with instructions to rescue Warlock, or the recorder went, well, I can't really follow Warlock around unless Warlock's around to follow. So I must rest. I must free him. Because, you know, you can't follow the guy if he's not there. And
1: somehow this has all taken three years to happen.
0: Yes. And then two weeks.
1: (laughs) And then two weeks.
0: (laughs) This show can now be found on Stitcher. In case you don't know what Stitcher is, Stitcher is radio on demand. A free app that lets you listen to all your favorite shows plus discovered from 20,000 others. Available on iOS, Android, Nook, and iPad. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at stitcher.com or in the App Store. Guess what? It's feedback begging time again, where I beg you, please do something feedback-wise. What can you do? Well, you can go on iTunes and leave us a review. Preferably five stars, but I'll take anything at this point. You can also send us an email for your thoughts, criticisms, poems, whatever. Resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com. Go visit our Tumblr page, resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com. New episodes are posted up there, images from the issues we cover, and whatever random stuff I think of. You can also find similar things on our Facebook page. Just type in Resurrections into the Facebook search box and it'll help you find it. Also, the show is on Twitter now. It has an official Twitter feed, at adamthanospod. Now it's time for the Friends and Enemies segment of the show. In the Friends and Emmy segment, we take a look at the cover date of this issue, June 1974, and we look at the other comics that have the same cover date that Adam or Thanos have appeared in before and that we've covered for the show already. Starting with The Avengers number 124, Beware the Star Stalker, by Steve Englehart, John Buscema, and Dave Cockrum. The Avengers have come to the Temple of Palma too late to save the priests, but their trip has not been in vain as a far greater menace soon arises all while the mystery surrounding Mantis continues to unfurl. Daredevil, number 110, Birthright, by Steve Gerber, Gene Colan, and Frank Chiaramonte. Slowly but surely, the secret of Black Spectre is becoming clear to Daredevil. It will just take a bit more investigation before all will be revealed. And for more on this issue, you should check out the On the Gun podcast, Shauna Showcase, number 7. Links to this can be found in the show notes. Fantastic Four, number 147, The Submariner Strikes. By Jerry Conway, Rich Buckler, and Joe Sinnott. As the rest of the Fantastic Four find out the reason behind Reed's depression, Namor arrives in New York to claim Sue Richards for himself. Now and evermore. But how does Sue feel about it? And for more on this issue, go listen to Fantasticast, episode 147. Links to this can also be found in the show notes. Iron Man, number 68, Night of the Rising Sun. By Mike Friedrich, George Tuska, and Mike Esposito. Iron Man follows Roxy Gilbert to Vietnam to search for the missing brother of Eddie March. Nearby, the Mandarin is developing a scheme of his own. And finally, Thor, number 224, No One Can Stop, The Destroyer, by Jerry Conway, John Buscema, Mike Esposito, and Tony Mortellaro. Pluto has been defeated, but Krista's life still hangs in the balance, and only Dr. Blake can save her. Meanwhile, Hercules seeks to amuse himself with the New York nightlife, but his revelry is soon interrupted the destroyer
1: 229 different characters spanning
0: the galaxies of the legion of superheroes presented across 7 comic book issues a new mini series as part of the who's who podcast to handle this many characters, the irredeemable Shag is bringing in a ringer, or maybe we should call them flight ringers.
1: Who's Who in the Legion of Who's Superheroes? Who's Who
0: in the Legion of Who's Who in the Legion of Superheroes? The Legion of Superheroes.
1: The Legion of Superbloggers team up to present Who's Who in the Legion of Superheroes, a three episode miniseries in 2017, part of the Who's Who podcast on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Long live the Legion.
0: So, John, we have an email today. Email! I from, love email. From somebody we actually know. A gentleman Wait. named W. Blaine Dowler.
1: Oh, uh, I thought maybe was that Nigerian prince again.
0: Oh, I wish. He hasn't contacted me back since I sent him my uh, bank codes. He's just a small boy anyway. So, I'm hoping he contacts me back. There's something going on with my bank. For some reason, I have no money in it anymore. I don't know what happened to it. Anyway, can't be that important. Anyway, Blaine's email is titled "No Prize Attempt at Nice Counter Earth Doom." Okay. Hi guys, going to be. Hi sure. Blaine. Hello Blaine, how you doing? He's busy, as we know.
1: Well, he has seventy-five podcasts put out between now and June of twenty-sixteen.
0: Are you talking about the unofficial seventy-five Greatest Marvels Countdown podcast? Yes. That Not to on? mention,
1: like all the other shows he's doing, like his X Files show and all the other stuff.
0: Yes. Because he's crazy. He is. But a good kind. In a good good way. Yes. Anyway, going to be terse, since I'm already kind of late for work. My no-prize attempt at why counter-Earth Doom was a nice guy. He was on the path to being a nicer guy before meeting Reed, as you mentioned. The Doom of the original Earth was raised by his father, Werner, after his mother, Cynthia, died using gypsy magic to overthrow a tyrannical leader after making a deal with Mephisto. Does anyone say happily married after making a deal with that guy? Answer, no. On <laughs> Counter-Earth, counter there are no super, piros, aside, super people aside from the brute, so it's likely the gypsy culture never learned magic, and she never died in that confrontation. Without the painful loss of a parent, Counter-Earth Victor would be inevitably become a different man. This, then, is my stab at a no prize. Cynthia Von Doom is alive, and Victor's childhood has significantly greater quantities of sunshine and rainbows. Blaine. Which makes sense to me, like, we know there's no Doctor Strange there. Right. Although the only question is then, how did he get the mask? Because he got the mask originally because he was trying to find his mother in the Netherworld.
1: And that machine blew
0: up. Unless they're going with, because originally I think when they first show his origin, they don't mention his mom in, like, Fantastic Four, Four or Five. So maybe he was just curious maybe they do this kind of one with the original reason not the retcon and he, doom was just curious
1: yeah i mean the, the thing is that whenever you have developments with a character that that but with a different history all you have to do is spin a story that that makes that happen i mean the uh, the reboots of the legion are a good example of that where you have this new legion with a new history. But we're going to tell similar stories about how things happen. It's kind of like whenever Lightning Lad appears as an adult in Grant Morrison's Action Comics run, he has a robot hand, mm-hmm. and that's a callback to previous Legion continuity. But we don't know that Legion continuity in the New Fifty Two. We just know that something somehow ended up in the same place. So there, there's you know a zillion ways he can still get a robot mask. True. It's just no longer that
0: way. He was doing experiments anyway. Anything could have had happened and caused an explosion. Right. That makes sense, though. If there was no magic, his mom wasn't doing magic. She, she didn't die because of it, and therefore he had mommy and daddy.
1: And everyone knows that if you have well balanced parents who raise you with attention, that you will come out to be a well balanced individual.
0: Except for the people who ended up becoming serial killers.
1: Yes. <laughs> because mom and dad can't fix sociopathy
0: <laughs> no no you can't fix that <laughs> but other than them it's usually that's you but other than that it's usually a good start to have parents who actually care about you and not have to have tragedy of losing both of them because of other people it usually helps to make you a happier better person I agree with that
1: and so we have Victor von happy
0: yes Victor von nice. Victor von delight he was Victor von awesome. I liked him I was like aww he died He didn't say
1: fine I'll take my name And make it count Except he did occasionally make jokes In the kids it's like I think the only doom you'll find down there Will be me
0: (laughs) What? What? No? Tough room Waka waka
1: Tough room For doom
0: Oh good one
1: not really, but thank you. <laughs>
0: well for Doom at Doom's level. I mean it's not like Doom's a <laughs> yeah, great stand up.
1: Yeah, great great job, Doom. We're gonna we're gonna go fight bad guys now. are you, are you done? You got you got the puns out of your system?
0: You good? Alright, let's you wanna help us save the world? Dot com, and DJ Puzzle at PeaceLoveProductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page.
1: This is a weird era for the Hulk, and it talks about it some in the um, in the letters pages. There's a lot of creative shifts in the Hulk.
0: Yeah, and Claremont did, scripted an issue, and then like they go back, and now where Thomas is writing it, it was writing it for a while when I, you know for a few issues with the Cobalt Man,
1: and Jerry Conway wrote a whole lot of issues, but not one of them was his story. He uh, he had a tenure on the Hulk and ended up scripting other people's plots the entire
0: time. One of these issues was the one they used for the uh, power records. Wow. The the one with the uh the incredible Hulk of Bay, it was called. One seventy one or one seventy two. It's the one with the Abomination and the Rhino.